Thanks, brother. Well, church, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you. And I just want to say, even though my Lakers were swept by the Nuggets, and I'm so grateful that David is rocking a Nuggets just to, just to rub it in, I still have a lot of love for the state of Colorado. Uh, my wife, Amanda, was born and raised here. She grew up in Littleton, so just down the road from you guys, and my wife attended Columbine High School. After college, we got married at Hudson Gardens next to Denver Seminary. I'm a big sports fan, and one of my favorite Colorado sports memories was week 17 of the NFL season in 2016, where the the Broncos were playing the Chargers, and that's the game that Peyton Manning came back after his injury, after a rough season, came back and won it against the Chargers. And if you recall, 2016 is the year the Broncos became the Super Bowl 50 champs. And, and, and being from California, what's really cemented my love for the state of Colorado is you guys finally have an In-N-Out burger. <laughs> The best burger in all of the world. But I just want to say, Cross of Grace Church down in El Paso, like David was mentioning, we're part of the West region in Sovereign Grace, and we have the joy of being gospel partners with you guys. And I just want to say that our church down in El Paso is a stronger and a better church because of you. There's a few reasons for that. The fact that you guys have gone down to Rancho 3M over in Mexico across our borders, that hits home for me. Uh, Dean Adamak, uh, who is the executive director of Rancho 3M, he and his wife, Denise, actually drive an hour to come to our community group. And every time I get to hear about, uh, get with them on just, hey, what's going on in the ranch, whenever Sovereign Grace Church comes, whenever they come down to care for the orphans, there's just a deep gratitude that they feel. They are just overwhelmed. And the, and the fact that you guys have gone down to care for them, uh, that personally, I, I'm grateful for that. And I also want to just say, when we hear reports about Dan's faithfulness in the midst of his battle with cancer, his care for this church, that lights a fire in our team down in El Paso. And it, it spurs us on to continue encouraging and loving our church the way Dan loves and cares for you guys. Man, I love how Sovereign Grace builds relationally. Our interdependence is a really special, special thing like David was touching on. And Cross of Grace Church in El Paso is praying for you this morning right now. And lastly, I just want to honor and recognize Mark. So can we just... Thank Mark for the work that he does for you guys. Mm. Just as I've gotten to interact with Mark, the, the humility, the gentleness, and the care that radiates from this man is just evidence of God's grace in your life, brother. It, it's just so obvious that God's grace has just gripped your heart and just has been so kind to you. So, so grateful for you. The way you carry the burdens of this church, the way you care and love for this church, you are an example to the churches in the West region and to guys like myself who are pursuing the call into pastoral ministry. So Mark, church, thank you guys for having myself and the city of Littleton here with you. 
It's a joy to worship alongside with you and a privilege to open God's Word this morning. So let's do just that. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me in the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, verse 15. And all week, we, we just hear chatter, chatter, chatter from the media, from, our, from work, and other distracting noises. But this morning, we get to open up from God's Word and hear from God. This is God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, this is our prayer that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning and that you would help us to hear you rightly, see you clearly, and love you deeply through this amazing prayer that we're going to be walking through in Ephesians. Lord, we ask that you pour out your grace upon us this morning. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you were to pull out the newspaper, the headline of this prayer. What it would read across the top is that Paul prays that our knowledge of God would move from our head to our hearts. Paul prays that we wouldn't just know these things about God, but that we would truly know them in a deep and rich way. His prayer focuses that we move from the head to the heart in three areas, the hope the inheritance, and the power that is ours in Christ. So looking at verse 15, he starts off, for this reason, let's stop there. We must look at the passage before verse 15 to see what Paul is referring to that is going to launch him into this prayer. In, verse, in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, Paul takes penned parchment with a very long run-on sentence in the Greek of 203 words telling us about the blessings that are ours in Christ. You can almost feel the excitement of Paul. Like he just can't contain this amazing news of what we have because of what Christ has done. He writes that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, how we were chosen before the foundation of the world, that we were holy, blameless. He continues in verse 5, that we were adopted as children of God. In verse 7, he shares how we've been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. 
verse 13, we see we were given the word of truth, the good news of the gospel, that all who believe are sealed by the Spirit. All of this, Paul says repeatedly, is to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul is, what I love about Paul is he is such a good pastor. He says all of this and he's like, I just have to stop and pray. That's my only response to this is I just want to pray that you would understand this, that it would have deep roots into your heart. And I love in verse 15, the reports that he is receiving about them. He says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards the saints. What Paul is hearing, these stories he's hearing is, it is very clear that the object of their faith is the Lord. The object of their love is one another. They're genuine Christians. And this encourages Paul deeply. He's thankful for their gospel partnership. He's thankful for the work that the Lord is doing in them. Guys, I am beyond grateful for what the Lord is doing here. When I hear about the, the story about safe families and just how you guys are coming alongside foster families and caring for them in, in, a, in a very tangible and practical way, because that, that to me just is telling me that's a response to God's love for you, that you just want to go and love other people well. Oftentimes, when it comes to growing deeper in our relationship with the Lord, I found that there could be two types of people. You have the academic Christian and also sometimes the prayer Christian, meaning that the academic Christian loves to emphasize knowledge. But the prayer Christian seems to emphasize presence and relationship. The academic Christian is the one who could just read stacks of theology books all day long, accumulate knowledge of the Lord through the Bible. But if they aren't praying, they're listening without talking. And with, on the flip side, if we pray without opening God's word, we're doing a lot of talking without listening. And Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, does both. He combines both the knowledge of Christ with prayer. They go hand in hand to Paul. These are the ingredients for a deeper relationship with Christ. 20th century British preacher Leonard Revenhill quotes, A man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, even Bible knowledge, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. So my question for you is, is your relationship with God purely academic, or is it a personal relationship? We see in verse 17 that it is by the Spirit's revelation that we can know him better. We must rely on the Spirit to help us. So as we dive into the contents of Paul's prayer, let us, with Bible in hand, lean into the Spirit's help for understanding of this very thick and dense prayer. By God's grace, may our understanding of God, our theology, lead to our praise of God, our doxology. The first thing Paul prays we would know from the head to the heart is the hope that is ours in Christ. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Usually when we use the word hope, it often has a shed of doubt to it. 
oh, I hope I can make it to that birthday party after work. Oh, I hope we can be there for the wedding. But Christian hope is different. Christian hope is certain hope. It's confidence. It's assurance. It's not so much putting a question mark on things, but an anticipation on things. The hope we have as Christians is not wishful thinking. It's an expectation with certainty that God will do what he has said. But a lot of us have been in seasons of life where it just seems that that hope in Christ that is ours just doesn't feel present. We don't feel it sometimes. And during prolonged trials and suffering, our circumstances can become the things that anchor our hearts, and we can feel hopeless. And even though we know we have hope in our heads, sometimes all we can see is the trial. I was reading the other day about this study. Um, it was an experiment trying to help kids focus better in school. Often these were kids who were distracted. Um, they were having a difficult time just paying attention to their teacher. And in the experiment, they gave the kids these special glasses. Okay? And so what was unique about these glasses is that on the lenses, from the midway point down, the, the vision was blurred. So it's just blurry. They couldn't see halfway down, but the top half was clear. And their hope, their thought process was, okay, if we can have the top half of the glasses clear, that would help the children. It would cause them to look up and to focus on their teacher. And what they saw is that when these kids kept their eyes up, they were able to focus more in class. And they were not as distracted by the things that were in front of them or below them. I think while living on this side of heaven, we will experience trials, suffering, grief, brokenness. And those things can sometimes blur the hope that is ours in Christ. But by God's grace, we've been given glasses that help us to look up at the Lord, to see the hope that is ours in Christ in the midst of the blurriness. And what really builds my heart up with gratitude is remembering that before Christ, all I could see was blurriness. There was no clarity. There was no hope in my life that was beyond myself. But when Christ saved me, he gave me the gift of hope that my sins were forgiven, that I was reconciled to God, and that one day I will be with him forever. So yes, while there is still blurriness in our lives, we as Christians can focus on what is clear, that we have hope in Christ that is unaffected by the blurriness of this life. And one day we'll be able to just toss these glasses to the side when our hopes become our reality and we are standing in the presence of Christ, free of suffering, free of trials, no more tears, no more cancer, no more death. Dr. Chapel sums up our hope in this way, and I love how he phrases this. The hope that we have as Christians, according to Dr. Chapel, is this the world is the Lord's, and we are his forever. The universe is not random, 
and we are never abandoned. Our God is just and gracious, sovereign and saving. My question for you is, do you know this hope? If so, which half of the glasses have you been looking through lately? As Christians, let us this week prayerfully put on the glasses of hope that the Spirit would help us to see the hope, to know the hope, to share the hope, and to long for the hope. The second thing Paul prays we would know from our heads to our hearts is the inheritance. He continues in verse 18 that we may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice what the inheritance of God is. It is his people. And this is not just a New Testament teaching. We see from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We see in Deuteronomy that God refers to his people as his inheritance. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of this truth. And we see at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, where John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, God has longed to dwell with his people and to obtain us as his inheritance. Uh, I got to play a few years of college football, and before one of our big games, we had the chaplain come on in, and he got to just share a word of encouragement from Matthew 13, which was, he was going through the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in, in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So the chaplain then went on to personalize this. He inserted our names as well as God's name into these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like you in a field. And when God found you in his joy... He went and sold all that he had to buy you. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like God looking for you. And when he found you of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought you. We often hear really sad stories about how people try to obtain an inheritance. But the way Christ obtains his inheritance is by laying down his life for us, by giving away everything. The chaplain was helping us to see that we are an inheritance of God, not by anything we do, but because of everything Christ has done. And what Paul is praying is, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see how amazing we are in this, but we would see how amazing God is. If you remember Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, we were dead in our sins, not even a spiritual 
heartbeat. But despite our deadness, God moved toward us so that we would be his. Because of the Lord's great love toward us, he made us alive so that we would belong to him forever. Our eternity has been changed by the blood of Christ. We are reconciled and forgiven by a holy God so that he could obtain us as his own. Calvin has this to say, the love with which God loves is none other than that with which he loved his son from the beginning, that we might be made partakers of the same love and might enjoy it forever. I love that phrase, enjoy it forever, because it's impossible to know the depths of God's love. We will be spending eternity immersed in God's love when we are in his presence. And even when we do experience God's love in a powerful way, we find that his love is displayed over and over again in our lives in even more powerful ways. It's, it's never ending. It's beyond, beyond. And we never just figure it out, put it in a box and say, I understand God's love. No, because the Lord continues to woo our hearts over and over again. Uh, my four-year-old Braxton has this children's book, and I'm sure some of the families here uh, may have this book as well. But the book is called Guess How Much I Love You. Is anyone familiar with that book? It's about big nut brown hair and little nut brown hair. It's a daddy and son rabbit. And all throughout the book, the, son, or the rabbit is basically just trying to out-love his dad. Right? So in the very beginning, the little rabbit is standing on his tippy toes. He's like, I love you this big. And the dad is like on his tippy toes. Well, I love you this big. And so throughout the book, it's just a bunch of comparisons of like trying to out-love one another. And then we see at the very end of this book, they're sitting next to a tree on this hill. And little nut brown hair is like, oh, I got this one. He says, Dad, I, I love you past the river, over the hills, and to the ocean. And the dad's like, wow, that's, that's a lot of love. He says, I love you there and back. <laughs> and I think in the same way, we think we know the depths of God's love, but he continues to surprise us with how much he truly loves us. When we read God's word, when we do life with one another, when we live in step with the Spirit, the Lord continues revealing more and more of his love to us. And just when we think we understand how much, he just blows us away in new ways. If you are in Christ, God sees you as his inheritance, as his treasure that he gave his all in order to obtain you. And I just want to say, ask you a question first. Do you see yourself the way God sees you as his inheritance do you see the cost he paid to obtain you? And if you are here today and you don't know Christ, I just want to say there is no amount of guilt, shame, or sin in your life that can prevent God from saving you. There's no good deeds that need to be done by you to earn your salvation from your sins. There's only one place that that has been accomplished, and it's on the cross where there is forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. Amen. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Maybe he's at the door of your heart knocking right now. Will you just let him in? 
and for those who are in Christ, let our prayer be that our lives would be transformed by this amazing fact that God sees us as his inheritance. May his love for us be the engine that drives our lives until God is with us forever when he has perfectly accomplished and obtained his inheritance. Lastly, we, Paul prays that we would know from head to heart the power that is ours in Christ. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Uh, This week I was looking online for examples of just the power that we see in our world. And like a fool, when I googled how powerful is nature, the top of the page just said, unbelievably powerful. I was like, okay, great, that's not very helpful. But I found a few examples. Did you guys know that at Niagara Falls, more than 500,000 gallons of water crashed down 18 stories into the Niagara River every second. It is enough to fill nearly 50 Olympic-sized pools in one minute. Did you know that the amount of energy released during a sun's flare is equivalent to the simultaneous explosion of millions of 100 megaton hydrogen bombs? That's a lot of power. And while all these things have power in and of themselves, God's power displayed in the resurrection and the enthronement is immeasurable. As mortal beings, we cannot conquer death. As beings living in a fallen world, we can't escape evil. But in the death and resurrection of Christ, he conquered both death and evil. God's power does the unthinkable. It reverses death and evil. There are no permanent solutions out there except the power of God. Chapel says, if Jesus' death on the cross was the supreme demonstration of God's love for sinners, the resurrection is the supreme demonstration of God's power. If Jesus' death on the cross was the supreme demonstration of God's love for sinners, the resurrection is the supreme demonstration of God's power. After Christ's resurrection from the dead, we see in verse 20 that he's then brought up and raised to the heavenly places and seated at the right hand. There's only one right hand pictured here, and it's, it symbolizes the place of honor, power, and authority reserved for the Son of God. But notice that Paul also tells us that there is a direction to this power. He says that it is toward us who believe. If you have your Bibles, turn a page on over to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and I want you to notice the striking parallel between Paul's prayer and Ephesians 2 verse 4. He says here, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us 
up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. All the things that were done towards Christ have been done to you if you are a Christian. That's mind-blowing. On God's resurrection power toward us, R.C. Sproul comments, God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. God dives to the bottom of the sea, pulls the corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him to the bank, takes him to the shore, breathes into him the breath of life, and makes him alive. That is the power of God. There is no power like this, but God's power has been exerted toward us. Question, have you marveled at the power of God in your life lately? To further demonstrate the power, Paul explains how this power then resides within the church. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice how we are connected to Christ in verse 22, he is our head. As the head, he directs, he cherishes, he nurtures, and he leads the body, the church. Ephesians 2, 4 says that we were paired with Christ in his resurrection and enthronement, that he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him, seated us with him. The Christian life is one that is powerfully connected to Christ at salvation and sanctification until glorification when we are finally his and he is ours forever. At salvation, our hearts were made alive by the power of the gospel. In sanctification, we are new creations that are being conformed to the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day... God's power will raise us into eternal life to be with Christ, and we will be presented in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. The Christian life is one that is powerfully connected to Christ, and this power never leaves us. D.A. Carson chimes in and says, For all eternity, our Savior will be our brother. And not only is Christ with his church, he empowers his church as the instrument of salvation for the world. The church stands as a witness to the world of God's saving power, one Christian at a time. How can you display the power of God in your life to others? When was the last time that you shared your testimony with someone or just shared what the Lord's been doing in your life lately? As we come to a close, what does it look like in the life of a Christian to not just have a head knowledge about God, but a, but a heart knowledge, to truly know these things that are ours in Christ? We have an example in the book of Ephesians, thankfully. Paul, the author of this letter, Paul was either under house arrest or in chains in a jail cell. 
And if the world were to look at him, their perspective would be, that is someone who's pretty hopeless. He's abandoned. He's powerless. But it's the contents of this prayer that Paul prays for us that have transformed his understanding of his circumstances. Paul didn't just know these things in his head, but in his heart, he knew the hope, inheritance, and power that belongs to us in Christ. And that's why he prays this prayer for this church. As Christians, when things look hopeless, we can still sing to the praise of his glory because we have a hope that cannot be affected by the circumstances of this world. When we as Christians are unsure of where we stand with the Lord, let us sing to the praise of his glory because he will hold us fast and never let go. We've been sealed by the Spirit. And when we feel powerless, we can boldly sing to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, that God's grace is sufficient for you. For God's power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Only the power of God can turn head knowledge into heart knowledge, fear into trust, trials into blessings, and brokenness into redemption. As a child, um, we would spend summer vacations down at Lake Mojave down in Laughlin, Nevada. It's actually connected to the Colorado River. And it was our thing that our family looked forward to every summer. But occasionally, while being out on the lake, these dark clouds would just roll in. And all of a sudden, this nice, picturesque, sunny day at the beach of enjoying the water turned into a World War II scene. Waves were huge. They, were, they would slam the boat against the water. We would see ambulance boats all over the lake trying to get people back to the shore because that was where safe was. And I remember as a little boy just being so scared and gripping like the rails of the boat as tight as I could, wondering, are we going to make it back to the docks? But in the midst of the chaos all around me, I'd look up at my dad, who was driving the boat. And because and when I got to look at my dad, there was a peace and there was a hope that would settle in my heart. Because when I looked to my dad, I knew we would make it to shore. And as a kid, my dad knew where we were going. He knew how to navigate through the storm. And his number one priority was getting his family safely to the docks. So I'm obviously still here, and we made it to the docks that day. But that day in my heart, I had a new understanding about my dad's love and care for me. It wasn't just something I, I knew in my head, but it was something that I had experienced in that day. I felt it. I lived it. And I knew deeply that day, more so about my dad's love about, 
his care for our family as we were standing on the docks. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father is the one driving the boat. He is all too familiar with where he has taken us. That's our hope. He is all too revealing of his great love for his family. We are his inheritance. And God knows the power that it will take to get us safely home. He's proven his power already in us. And he's going to do so again and again in the moments we need him. So at Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, would our prayer be that God would open the eyes of our hearts to a deeper understanding of the hope, inheritance, and power that's ours in Christ? Church, let's pray. Father, we, we just stand humbled and in awe at the beautiful riches you have given us in Christ. Lord, help us to see your glorious grace in our lives. What power that you've set your heart toward us when we continue to run the other way. What love that you would continually reveal more and more of yourself to us after wooing our hearts. Today we pray that your spirit would give us a desire to hunger for more of you. As we grow in our understanding of the word, help us to be freshly affected and shaped by the hope and power that is ours in Christ. And all of God's people said,